Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? When there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, right? That's the plan, Stan. You got to call the Ghostbusters. How y'all doing tonight? Saturday night. Live on a Saturday night. Saturday night live, live on a Saturday night. Just came back from the movies not too long ago. Took my, my boy to go see Ghostbusters Afterlife, a.k.a. Ghostbusters 3. Or is this different from Ghostbusters 3? Ghostbusters 3 was in development hell for, for many, many, many years. Long time gestation period. Let's start off the show and the stream by stating that much like the Halloween series that I reviewed, I this is not a sacred cow for me. It's not. I think I, think I like doing that. Yes, Amy just got done watching it perfect this is perfect uh, there's this is going to be spoilers guys we're going to be really spoiling the crap out of this this is not a sacred cow for me like I, i'm not you know impervious there's some people you know when something is sacred to them they're impervious to its uh to, to any sort of um what's what's the word imperfections i should say you know like uh it, it's infallible because you love it so much and you don't recognize the flaws I'm that doesn't apply to me. I was I've always loved Ghostbusters. I'll, oh, man, anytime Ghostbusters is on, it's great. Great thing. I took my son today. I was like, you know what? The Alamo just reopened. No, it didn't just reopen. Been open for a while. But I, it was the first time that I was back at the Alamo. Now, before you guys knew me as this sort of like broadcasting person, I used to live at the Alamo Draft House. I was a, I was like an Alamo rat. What is the Alamo Draft House? It's kind of like a, you know, it's a Bruin view, which means that you can get you can get food, you can order food in like a restaurant type setting right there in the movie theater. That people bring it. You can eat pizzas and popcorn and all sorts of junk. It's great. They got milkshakes. They got root beer on tap. If you if you drink beer, there's got a lot of beers and stuff. Love that place. I had a subscription there for a time called the Season Pass, uh, where you can see one movie per day. And so I would go and I would see, man, oh my lord, I would see sometimes five movies a month, depending on you know, I had a re really, really cooperative, uh, loving wife who appreciated that this was kind of like my most tavern, you know, um, instead of going to, to, to drink a pint at Moe's Tavern, I would go to Alamo Draft House. That's what I liked to do. And this was the first time since the pandemic, since May, since March 12th, 2020, I have been back. So it felt really good to be back in that in that area and i brought my son my little six-year-old son it was his first real movie going experience and he really enjoyed it we had a great time i had a great time with ghostbusters afterlife i really truly did however i want to explore a question the question the question what is the question the question is what did i write for the time <laughs> i remember what i called the title of this video what the hell did i call the title of the video i'm checking right now uh, it's something about fan service. I, it was a really good title, I thought at least, um, but I can't remember what the hell I said. I said that Ghostbusters, uh, d uh, dis uh, disguising fan service as something fresh and new. Does Ghostbusters Afterlife disguise fan service as something fresh and new? What is fan service exactly? Fan service is kind of like this negative, pejorative sort of meaning, connotation. Oh, you know, like as it's as if it's bad to to get to pay service to the fans, like it's somehow cheapening what, you know, uh, what's going on cinematically or from a storytelling standpoint. And you know what we're going to do, actually, just because we like to be thorough, we're going to we're actually going to look up the definition of fan service, like the actual like textbook meaning of fan service. Um, what what does fan service mean? Let's take it to the Urban Dictionary to 
In general, fan service refers to scenes designed to excite or titillate the viewer. Isn't that what all movies are supposed to do? Isn't a movie in general supposed to? This proves the point that I'm going to be making with this video. Isn't that the point you want to excite or titillate your viewer? This can include scantily clad outfits, cleavage shots, panty. I don't know about that. Nude scenes. Uh, this is some broader definitions also include things like cool mecha, big explosion. I think this is refer in reference to anime, to anime actually. Basically, if it has little plot redeeming value, but makes the viewers sit up and take notice, it's probably fan service in one form or another. So I guess what it means to say is fan service is something that you say. Uh, uh, so here it says a rather disturbing phenomenon that seemed to originate in the Japanese and the Korean media, primarily when two people act intimate towards each other for the media. I, I don't know, but that's not right. That's not right. I don't, I don't know. This is. We're not getting a, a solid answer here, but the point, the point being, I think the point being that we're going to do really cool stuff, really cool Easter eggs. We're going to excite and titillate our audience um, at the expense of having any sort of substance to a plot. Does Ghostbusters Afterlife suffer from that very thing I just said? Yes, for sure. Is suffer the right word to use? No, I don't think so. You know, I really don't think so. I think it's okay. I think it's okay if it's just fan service. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, at, this is what fans always want. Fans always want something fresh and new. But then when you do something fresh and new, they get really mad. Case in point, Ghostbusters 2016. You have a bunch of female ghostbusters that's literally it they basically ignore the two movies that come before and it's it's a remake with female ghostbusters right and you know i went to go to the theater to see that as well and it was man people hated that movie they hated it i thought it was okay like i said ghostbusters is not a sacred cow to me so i was like all right yeah this is fine you know what i took notice of while i was in the theater it was a very interesting thing um I'm sitting there, and they had plenty of fan service moments in there too, but I'm sitting there and I'm looking not always at the screen. I know this is going to sound weird, but it doesn't, it's, it's just an observation. About three rows ahead of me at the Alamo Draft House, I was on like, a, it was kind of like a, a ramp sort of type situation. Um, not a ramp, but like the, the rows in front of me were sort of at a lower grade. I could uh, see a bunch of young girls who were at the edge of their seats, eyes glued to the screen, resting their hands on the, the, the headrests in front of them, absolutely enthralled with what was, you know, not the terribly great, but not, not anything bad sort of movie. But you want to know something? It, it, it made me realize that the, the, what was important about this movie, what made this movie important, what made it fresh and new, was that anybody could be a Ghostbuster, even these girls, these 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 young girls, whatever. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was kind of punk rock, you know? Um, a lot of people hated that. A lot of people were like, no, 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 you can't do that, can't do that, blah, blah, blah. So what do they do? They They play it safe. And that's what I think Afterlife ultimately is. Afterlife is a movie that is disguising itself as something fresh and new in certain instances, and then in other instances, it's playing it super duper safe. Super, we're gonna we're gonna make you think we're doing something outside of the box when in reality we're just giving you the same old thing that you've seen before. And here's what's funny: like I said, when you do something fresh and new, people get mad. And when you do something super safe and something that's like super in line with fan service, people get outraged. They get outraged. They get so mad. Oh, you're just giving us the same old dreck over and over and over again. Well, I'm happy to report that Ghostbusters Afterlife is somewhere in the middle there, and it does a fine job of doing both of those things. Amy says that Amy says that she didn't like it either, Ghostbusters 2016. She thought it was an utter, utter flop. What's going on, Mr. Red? Uh, we're talking about Ghostbusters this evening. Spoilers, if you have not seen the new one. Um, big spoilers. So what happens in Ghostbusters? We start off, we're in some rural area, uh, somebody who we can't see, he's running away from, 
He's running away from what quite clearly is a ghost. And and here's the thing. I think it's very easy to infer that this is uh, a Ghostbuster. And we would find out, you know, later, very easily later on that it was Egon Spangler, who, 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 who you know, who's the actor who played Egon, uh, Ivan Reitman, not, not Ivan Reitman, Harold Remus, uh, passed away. He passed away. I don't know when he passed away. He passed away after 2009 maybe like 2000 2014 that's when he passed away uh which sort of prevented any sort of semblance of ghostbusters 3 and ghostbusters 3 was supposed to be a third entry this is a different movie ghostbusters 3 was supposed to be a follow-up to the original like the a true follow-up to the original ghostbusters not that this one wasn't but it was going to feature the actual Ghostbusters, meaning that all the Ghostbusters were going to star in it. You're going to have Ray and Peter Venkman and uh, Winston Zedmore and Egon Spangler, and they are the Ghostbusters, and probably passing the baton on to some newer, younger Ghostbusters, because let's face it, the fact that they would, it would be a miracle that they would get all those guys back together again. It's, it's famously known that Bill Murray absolutely detested coming back and doing a third Ghostbusters. He was just so like I he he was eye rolling about about the whole thing. What's going on, Droid? Um Amy says she cried so much at the end seeing Egon. Let's well, we'll, hold hold on to that, Amy, cuz we're going to get there. We are going to talk about that. Um I was supposed to watch this today or tonight, but most likely tomorrow night. I'm just warning you, Mr. Red, we are spoiling the crap out of it, so beware. So so yeah, I mean the 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 prospect. I actually have a shirt from Joe from Joe Vasta. It's a Egon not forgotten Egon not forgotten shirt that he made after Egon passed away. I'll post a picture of it on YouTube. Um, he should really repress that shirt and probably be do well today. Um, so so Ghostbusters three never going to happen because Harold Remus passed away. Really funny filmmaker and actor. And like I said, those guys have been trying to get that that Ghostbusters 3 off the ground, and it was always Bill Murray who was holding out. They did a video game in 2009. Bill Murray came back for the video game. And, you know, Bill Murray is like, he's he's a wild card, man. You never know what you're going to get with Bill Murray. One minute he's in for it, next minute he doesn't want to do it. You know, Bill Murray, and this is a true story, Bill Murray signed on to do the Garfield movie because it was being directed by a guy named Ethan Cohen or Ethan Cohen. And I'm not sure if it's Ethan or Ethan. And it was he thought it was the Cohen brothers because there's Ethan and Joel Cohen. So he agreed to do the movie and then he did the sequel. And it wasn't until he was in the middle of the sequel that he it became made aware to him that Ethan Cohen was not the same Ethan Cohen from the Cohen brothers and that he had done two Garfield movies voicing the voice of Garfield. That's a great job at voicing the voice of Garfield. And didn't even know. So, like, that's the kind of guy that Bill Murray is. He's just kind of, you know, he's kind of in outer space. He's kind of all over the place. He's an urban legend, you know, in terms of all this, like, crazy stuff that he does. And he's he's hard to nail down. Bill, come back. Let's do another Ghostbusters. Eh, I don't want to do that. I, don't wanna, I mean, he doesn't really do sequels. Has he done? There are not too many sequels that he's done, you know. I mean, he did do the... <laughs> He did two, two Garfield. He did two Garfield movies before he did a third Ghostbusters movie. It's kind of funny when you think about it like that. That must have been good. That's good. That CGI cat money is good stuff, you know. Um, so Ghostbusters 3 is off the table. That would have been directed by Ivan Reitman, who directed the first two films. Ivan Reitman, very funny, uh, talented filmmaker, um, known for all sorts of films, all sorts of comedies in the 80s. But his son, Jason Reitman, who is play, who stars as a, or has a cameo as a little boy at the birthday party in Ghostbusters 2, he, he took up the mantle. And, you know, it, it's in the family. And, you know, you can you can chalk up Jason Reitman's involvement as a sort of like a gross case of nepotism, maybe. Um, why the hell didn't they? Runner Dial Zero asks, why the hell didn't they bring Ecto Cooler back this time? I think they did as like a cross promotional thing. I think it's there. I think that it's in stores for sure. I, I wish I didn't put it away. There, they, we ha got these cool little menus with like an Ecto Cooler drink at the Alamo Draft House. It's pretty sweet. I always take the 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 custom tie in menus for movies. I have the Star Wars ones too. I love collecting those. Those, those are cool collectors' items. So in in any case. 
why does Jason Reitman work for this franchise and why can you chalk it up to more than just gross Hollywood nepotism? What is nepotism? Nepotism is when, you know, your dad is this famous filmmaker and you get the gig because you're the son. First of all, Jason Reitman is incredibly talented. He's a very talented filmmaker, right? Um, it runner dials zero. It's definitely out there. You got to keep looking. I hope you find it, buddy. Good, good luck to you. <laughs> um, freaking. So, so what, why, why does he deserve to, why does he deserve it? He's a talented filmmaker. His dad did the original Ghostbusters and he, he is familiar. He has a, a relationship, a rapport with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and, you know, um, Ernie Hudson, although Ernie Hudson, I think Ernie Hudson's at the conventions in the Ghostbusters outfit. He's going to be doing the Ghostbusters no matter what. He, he, he's going to show up no matter what. And I, Frank, I don't blame him, dude. That's a pay. As he says it's himself, steady paycheck. Right. You know, I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, but the heart and, and Dan Aykroyd, it's his Dan Aykroyd wrote Ghostbusters, which was based on for those of you who don't know, Dan Aykroyd's grandfather was really into um, like all that stuff, like, you know, ghosts and consciousness after you die. And he grew up, you know, reading his grandfather's research writings and stuff. And that's what, you know, he he, he very recently was on um, uh, a talk show and he was talking about how the, the notion of ectoplasm was became a household became a household name it became it entered into the pop pop culture zeitgeist lexicon because of his film ghostbusters something of which that he's very proud of so you know he, uh, uh dan Aykroyd, he's not gonna be hard to nail down the guy who's hard to nail down as we just said is bill murray who is going to appeal to bill murray's sensibilities better than jason reitman someone who bill knows and trusts right bill grew up or no i should say jason reitman grew up with uncle billy right so I, I think Ivan Reitman and Bill Murray actually had some sort of falling out. I could be mistaken about that. But the point is, is that like this is the right guy for the job who's going to be able to rally Bill Murray and get him to behave, you know, long enough to do his 10 minute cameo on screen, because we know that's how long they're going to be in there. We all know they're going to show up, too. It's not like you're not going to have a Ghostbusters movie and not have the actual Ghostbusters. So for the most part, like I said, the film is like really scared to try something different and new and at the same time just ends up pandering to fan service. I keep saying that same thing over and over again. Well, what, what, how, what, why, where get, can, you know, some, some, some statements to, to back up that, that notion. Okay, here it is. So Egon, he dies at the beginning. He dies in his chair. He's, he's got the trap, he or he's got the the whatever the um the ghost thing the 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 ghost uh, reader whatever you call it the thing that has the two things that pop out that that lets you know if there's a ghost or not all that stuff gets left in this derelict dirt farmer house out in some in, I guess it's in it's supposed to be Oklahoma they never really say uh, this was uh, a head scratcher for me I don't know why this film didn't take place in New York City it should have taken place in Brooklyn or Queens or the Bronx or something probably Brooklyn or Queens. Or I don't know, Staten Island, you know, the notion of taking Ghostbusters outside of New York City was weird, especially because one of the last shots of the movie is them driving back to New York City. And it's just like sort of like a randomly placed end shot. I felt like there was never you could have told a thank you. Thank you, Amy. It's a P PTK meter. Amy knows Amy is very well versed in in pop culture. By the way, Amy, I'm just I'm just putting it out there. We are we are planning on doing a a a female. It's like um, it's like a, a it's one of the it's the streaming evil live show. Uh, I'm having uh, I have one female guest, and we're trying to get a couple of more because we want a female perspective on being misfits fans. If that's something that you think you'd want to do, um, and you show up that day for the show, you are more than welcome to join us. Uh, in in that discussion it, since you're here so much in the chat I just want to extend that offer to you if you want to up to you um, more more on that another day so Amy knows her stuff though P PTK meter is what it's called that that rolls around on the floor somewhere uh, in 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 this old house and we don't really know what's going on there's some sort of like apparitional presence there and then we're introduced to a bunch of characters that don't seem to have to do with anything there's mom 
and there's the two kids. One of the kids is from the Stranger Things. This was one of the smartest things that you could possibly do is have the kid from the Stranger Things because that's what this that's what this is sort of trying to do. You you could say, oh, it's like kind of doing like the Goonies thing, like we're trying to do like Goonies meets the Ghostbusters, but like. You know, it's not really Goonies. It's more like Stranger Things. You know, here's what Dr. Derpy says. It's the sequel fans have wanted for a long time with some flaws. Not many, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it's like, how are we going to appeal to new to new audience and pay service to the old audience? Well, let's let's incorporate the Stranger Things Vibe. So you got a bunch of kids dealing with some supernatural shit in a very small rural town that is like the weirdest setting for a Ghostbusters film. Again, they, they could have easily plugged in everything that happens in the small town could have happened in the borough of Brooklyn or Queens, and then it would have felt a little bit more connected to things. But no, they want to go small town Stranger Things route, and that's what they do. And it's fine it works i'm okay with it it's it's whatever it didn't really it didn't really affect me again probably because i'm not a diehard ghostbusters fan but if i was a diehard ghostbusters fan i probably would say why was why didn't it take place in new york it should have been in new york but that's that's just me you know um and they go to the town and as it turns out the mom mom has inherited her dad's house and all of these things and we very quickly realized that mom is the the daughter of Egon Spangler, the Ghostbuster, and it's never explained why. Did 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 I need to know how or why? I guess not. I guess not. We just know that they had no relationship. She didn't even know her dad, and they don't explain that either. They just it's just sort of insinuated that he ran out on them, and it's never explained why he ran out on him. Or maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I actually missed it, and 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 it was explained, but it didn't seem like it was explained. Um, and, and again, I was okay with it. I, I was like, fine, whatever. There's just some things that you come to accept. If you accept it, you can move on. And that's what's interesting, too, about suspending your disbelief, as a, whether you're a fan or whether you're, just, you're, you're watching something where you can accept something that may be a little bit hard to swallow and just go, yeah, I'll roll with this. This is fine. And then you might see the tiniest, like, minute detail of something and go, no, no, that, no way, no way. You could never cross the street and not get hit by a car or that type of fishing rod was not manufactured in 1984. Like some ridiculous minutia that takes you completely out of a movie or a character decision that doesn't feel earned. That character would never do that. That character would never, ever do that. That's not an earned thing i'm out of this movie that kind of thing um that the notion that she didn't know her dad or that would not really explain whatever what i really respect about this movie overall and again like i said we're going to spoil the shit out of this so just be be ready and willing for that i really respected the crap out of the fact that they did not try to have egon speak they did not manipulate they didn't manipulate Harold Remus's voice after his death. Now, here's the thing. I think I'm, I, this is a very subjective thing for me. There are some instances where if an actor is dead, like leave them dead. Do not like do not shove a hand up their corpse and manipulate their mouth to talk and, you know, try and capitalize on their image for your film. And then there are other times where this person is gone, but they are the face of this thing. And the only way that this thing is going to feel more like the, the thing is if we manipulate, you know, the fact that this person is dead so that we can have this. And a case in point, fucking Rogue One. When Peter Cushing steps out, Peter Cushing had been dead for what? Uh, when did Rogue One come out? In 2016, 2017, 2016, right? Rogue, um, Peter Cushing had been dead for 22 years at that point, right? We're never going to get Peter Cushing. We're never going to see him again, right? But to make it feel like this is happening right before Star Wars A New Hope, because it literally happens, you know, hours before A New Hope begins, right? Like it ends with the rebel f rebel ship flying away. And what do they do? They friggin 
they bring Peter Cushing back from the dead. And they don't just have him standing in the background the way George Lucas does in episode three, just like a little little Easter egg thing. They straight up bring this motherfucker back from the dead. They have him talking and moving and they have like right in your face, there is Peter friggin' Cushing. And when I saw that, my mouth dropped open and I was like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Because we needed that element to really make this feel like Star Wars and that element. So it's not done to capitalize. They're not, it's not like they're advertising this and they did not advertise, Go. That's maybe that's what it is. If 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 a dead person is being used to advertise the thing as well, then it really feels like cheapened. But if and and not good, like not not cool. But like if it's just if it's used in a way to surprise fans and sort of really um, done in a way because we want to really make this thing feel as authentic as possible, I think that's cool, man. I think that's really cool. So when I saw Peter Cushing show up i was like fuck the fuck yeah this is great and he's talking blah 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 blah. and then there are other instances where maybe that's not as cool what you know uh uh, brandon lee the crow you know they they needed to do some manipulation in order to complete that film so that he didn't die in vain you know well i mean look it's that's that's not the right thing to say like he it it, they did it it would have been a shame that he had literally given his life for this film and this film doesn't come out you know, and it ended up being this monumental film that, you know, people are just just absolutely revere the crow and Brandon Lee. Right. So it's like, once again, we're going to manipulate a, a dead person in order to in service of keeping uh, the thing. And Amy brings up a great point. This is what they did with I was about to bring this up next. This is what they did with Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance and Halloween Kills. And in that case, they're not even using Donald Pleasance. They have an actor in makeup and it's just and they're using I think they're using old lines from from Halloween movies, you know, and it's just it really does. That was one of my favorite parts of Halloween Kills, actually. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Dr. Drippy says it's the sequel. F- oh, no, we already read that 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 line right there. So. It works, and 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 so what do I have to say about Egon and Ghostbusters? They do the same thing. They have Egon show up, but here's but it's done so tastefully, in my opinion. I thought it was so, it was so poignant. They they did not rely on Egon in any way, shape, or form. They didn't. Re- sorry, let me rephrase that. They didn't rely on the image of Harold Remus in any way, shape, or form until the other three Ghostbusters show up at the end and then they bring out Harold Remus. They reveal his ghost. And the other thing that's really great too, and you could tell, they don't have Harold Remus say anything. They don't have Egon, sorry, they don't have the character of Egon. It's not Harold Remus. It's it's the visual of Harold Remus being used to uh, create Egon's ghost. They don't have him saying much, saying anything. And I thought that was really good, too. It's like we don't want to manipulate our dead friend's words to sort of to 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 sort of puppet him. This is just sort of like so that his visual presence is there. I thought that was really, really sweet and really well done. And you know what? They don't use it throughout the whole movie. Egon's ghost is sort of like in the background in the whole movie whenever they're in the house and they're in his lab or whatever you know sort of you know the mom is looking around she finds out that he's been keeping tabs on her her whole life which still doesn't make sense she like suddenly forgives her absent father because he did keep up with her life but he didn't he wasn't a presence in her life what is it like what is that you know does is that the the solvent that forgives all i guess in the sense of my father is dead he's never coming back i can never sort of uh make peace with him but i can i can at least take solace in the knowledge that my dad you know uh did did follow my life even if he stayed away for whatever reasons he stayed away for but you know they have this whole touching thing at the very beginning where where the 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 granddaughter who's oh god what's her name and she is just what a treasure she is she's great she plays uh phoebe phoebe i think it is here let's look i got the imdbs up real quick yeah mckenna grace plays phoebe 
And Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> His name is Finn Wolfhard. Holy crap. Finn Wolfhard plays Trevor, and then there's this kid, Logan Kim. He plays podcast. I love that. I love that he was like this kid podcast. He totally felt like a combination of the 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 um the Asian kid in Goonies, um, but with with the gadgets, uh, as well as just sort of like a a young Dan Aykroydish style character. I, I thought he was I thought he was great too. I thought he was really great too. So. So Phoebe is she she she's the star of the show, man. She's driving the whole film and she starts having this chess match with a ghost and we know it's Egon. So it's like it's like, you know what they do? It's like what they do with Jaws. They don't show us the shark and it's fucking great. The whole time they're not showing us the shark that is Egon. They just let his presence be known through like, you know, a specter moving a light or, you know, being in his lab or yada, yada, yada. They show us in different ways that he's there the whole time, sort of like, you know, helping them. He helps his grandson, Trevor, by, you know, twisting the wire on the Ecto-1 to, to, to get it started again. It's really nice. It's a really nice way to have Egon sort of strung throughout the whole film without, you know, cashing in on, hey, we're showing Egon's ghost. They, they do that, but they save it for the very end. You know, <laughs> it's so true, man. That is the the shark that is Egon. First time in history anyone said it. But am I wrong? Am I wrong? He is the shark, you know, that we don't see him and less is more. And it's frigging great. Dr. Derpy says it was everything Force Awakens wasn't very, very written well character. Sorry, it wasn't everything Force Awakens wasn't very you didn't write this right but i hear what you're saying uh the the characters were handled well and then it was was written well um but yeah that's what he that's the way they're treating egon they're just he's he's always there but he's not he's under the water he's under the water just like jaws the shark and i liked that a lot so basically they're starting to uncover they're they're slowly uncovering that their their grandfather was a Ghostbuster. And the other thing that was kind of, the one thing that was a bit eye-rolling for me, like you talk about suspension of disbelief and whatnot, the Ghostbusters in the Ghostbuster world, I mean, this is like a big phenomenon. 1984, the, as, as podcast seems to know, the, the character podcast, he goes, the Manhattan rip. That's what he calls what happened in Manhattan in 1984 when Ghostbusters fought uh, Gozer and, and Zool the first time. You know what I mean? Uh, and battled the terror dogs or whatever the hell they're called on the top of the sca the skyscraper, which was designed by uh, Ivo, Ivo uh, 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 Shandor, who they brought back, right? Um, so I just had a pothole here. So they they sort of um, they're sort of built they're sort of building on on letting us know who they were. Oh yeah, now I remember what it was. They're building on letting us know who the Ghostbusters were. I'm like, dude, everybody should know who the Ghostbusters are. Like, don't they did the same thing in Force Awakens talking about that. And this film is very similar to the Force Awakens in a lot of different ways. What was the Force Awakens? The Force Awakens was a requel. It was a reboot and it was a sequel at the same time. This is a very popular format. We're getting two types of 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 sequels. You're getting bookend sequels, as I call them, or duology sequels. A great example, you have Train Spotting. Train Spotting 2 comes out 2016, 20 years after the original Train Spotting. Various films like that. Look at Fury Road and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. 30 years apart. You know what I'm saying? These long ass follow up sequels coming to America and coming to America, right? Like, like all these movies that are super far apart in time, and then we're just doing a follow up sequel for whatever reason kind of surprised they haven't tried to do something with mrs doubtfire though it couldn't because of robin williams i just realized that makes me really sad but um ghostbusters afterlife is would, would definitely qualify as a requel especially considering the what the plot turns out to be and I just don't buy, just like I didn't buy it with The Force Awakens. Nobody remembers what The Force is. 30 years later, nobody knows what The Force is. Nobody's sure if the Jedi's existed or not. No one's sure if the Ghostbusters exist or not. I call shenanigans. 
Everybody should know who the Ghostbusters are. And it's convenient for the plot. We can't know who the Ghostbusters are because we want to slowly uncover who they are. And, you know, we see very convenient, loved it, loved it as a storytelling device. They show us clips of the Ghostbusters on YouTube. I thought that was great. Thought that was great. Great way to sort of incorporate, like, very easy. Because that's what some young person would do, right? That's what you would do if you were born after the year 2000. You just go to YouTube and you would, well, any of us would really. I mean, that's not something that's exclusive to someone born after the year 2000 but we would we would all just we would go on youtube and google and and sorry search search it up and watch it and that would be it you know so so that happens right then um uh as we're learning about that uh they 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 find one of the traps in the floorboards there's like this floorboard puzzle that uh phoebe figures out and she is as i said she's funny she is uh, sharp, she is charming, and she just drives the movie. She is like the spearhead of the whole film. And she very easily carries the film on its shoulders without relying on any Ghostbusters or ghosts, really. Especially when Paul Rudd comes into the picture. That was really brilliant to have Paul Rudd join this cast. You know, I thought he was going to be like a Ghostbuster, and he's more of like a Rick Moranis than, than say, a Ghostbuster, you know? And I was like, that's cool. Paul Rudd is the perfect Rick Moranis for this, you know? In fact, I would love to see Paul Rudd play Seymour in a remake of Little Shop of Horrors. I think he would do that role great justice. You know, they've been trying to remake the musical version of Little Shop of Horrors. Not that it does ever needs to be remade. It's pitch perfect. By the way, that has, uh, that has a bunch of alumni from Ghostbusters in it as well. I believe Bill Murray, Bill Murray's in it. Well, you have two, two really. Bill Murray and you have uh, uh, Rick Moranis are both in it. In any case, you would have imagined that Steve Martin would have been in Ghostbusters or involved in some way, shape, or form, and he wasn't. That's interesting. Um, Dr. Derpy says, worth your hard-working money. Go watch it. People go support it. Me, yeah, man. I fuck, fuck yeah, dude. I, 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 whatever criticism I might have, and I, like I said, it's not a total criticism. We're just, we're, 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 we're taking appraisal of everything. You absolutely should go see Ghostbusters Afterlife in the theater. Go support this film. Have them make more Ghostbusters. I like Ghostbusters. You know, this is a franchise, again, just to go back real quick. This is a franchise that, you know, people just fucking are obsessed with. And people don't care too much for the second one. I love the second one, by the way. And I'm realizing that it's a lot like Conan. Conan has two films and Red Sonja, right? And then you have Call the Conqueror. But people only really like that first Conan movie. And it's the same thing with Ghostbusters. People only really like the first Ghostbusters movie, at least until now. Um, but, you know, it's just a franchise. People have been just wanting. Amy's right. YouTube is the search engine of today, which is pretty cool to look at old archives. It is. And I don't want to sound like ageist or like an old fart, but... I remember being on the train on the MTA reading in a newspaper about this new thing called YouTube and how you could watch old clips of the Beatles or anything like anybody could upload anything. I thought, wow, that's really I think this was 2005 and I made my first YouTube account to 2006. So I've been on YouTube since 2006. Really crazy to think. Um <laughs> feel so old saying that. My God. Um, Ghostbusters 2 is great. Yes. Yes, it is. I like it. I, I've never had a problem with Ghostbusters 2. A lot of people don't like it, though. Um, in any case, <clears throat> well, where were we? Where were we on... Um, trying to remember. Talking. God. This is what happens to me. I get so, uh, this is what sucks about just doing this off the top of my head. You just forget where you are. You go off on these tangents, and then you can't ring yourself back in. That's why it's good to do scripted video sometimes. In any case, okay, now I remember. So she's the focal point. She's great. She's driving the whole film. They bring in Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is great. He's this like substitute. He's like a summer teacher who's actually really smart. They start doing science stuff. They find one of the old traps and they open the trap by connecting it to a bus car battery and they release a terror dog or something that goes back to this mine that was closed down in the 40s. That was the center of the town. That was Ivo Shandor's mine. Ivo Shandor is the guy who designed, he was the architect who designed uh, Dana's building 
right? Um, Dana's, uh, what's it called? Uh, Dana's, you know, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver's building that where, and also where Rick Moranis also was, uh, had, had an apartment there, uh, which was like a giant lightning rod for the paranormal, right? And basically, I guess he had a mind to go with it. So that's what happens. I mean, that's ultimately what they do. The, as it turns out, the, this film is just a continuation of the original film's plot, and that's where it plays it safe. So it tricks us. It goes, ooh, look, we're doing Stranger Things and being all you know new and fresh with shit. And then it's like, boom, nope, actually the villain is Gozer. Here are those terror dogs. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, they slowly discover all the, you know, Ghostbusters tech and they have a, a fun time. They find this this Slimer-esque ghost called Muncher that likes to eat metal and they they chase after him and we get some really great fun action shots of the Ecto-1 going around town, destroying stuff with proton packs. She figures out how to operate the proton packs, a little girl, Phoebe. Um, Mom and Paul Rudd turn into the gatekeeper and the key master. It just brings back all this stuff. Now, here's here's where I w will criticize this film or where I do kind of look at the fan service as sort of, you know, a, a bit eye-rolling. Like, we know that the Ghostbusters are going to show up. We know we're going to get Peter Venkman and, and Ray Stans and, and uh, Winston Zedmore, and we get that shot of Egon. We're expecting that, but it's like, why not give us some something new? There is so much, not just in Ghostbusters, it's like just in the world of paranormal, there's so many places you could have gone. If you're not going to keep it in New York City, then why not? And, you know, at the very end, there's an end after credit scene that shows Winston Zedmore it goes back to Hook and Ladder 8, which is the, 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 the headquarters of the Ghostbusters. And remember, they had the containment unit in the basement. They were like, don't turn off the containment unit. Yes, this man has no dick. You know, uh, we don't have to, you know, don't um, uh, don't shut off the containment unit because it's going to send all the ghosts out. And, you know, we get this kind of nod that that's going to happen again. That could have been the plot of this movie if you wanted to really just sort of do the fan service and play it safe. But instead, they just rehash the same plot with Gozer. And I'm just kind of like, it's been done. We we didn't need it. We really didn't need it. You could have gone. You could have done anything. You could have. You could have used the Necronomicon. How cool would that have been if they had used? And it totally could have worked. I mean, the Necronomicon's in public domain. That's an H.P. Lovecraft thing. That's not a Sam Raimi thing. Like, give us Ghostbusters. You know, fighting the Necronomicon. You know, you could have done uh, something derivative of Freddy Krueger. Have it like a like a dream, like a dream master who who they have to fight. There is a Ghostbusters fan movie that is Ghostbusters versus Freddy Krueger. But instead we get the same characters. And then here's the thing. At the same time, as a fan of the movie, of the original movie, you're like, yes, Gozer! I'm so happy. I fucking love Gozer. This is fucking great. So, oh, I love the terror dogs. Look, they're practical effects. Oh, look, there's the state puff. The state puff marshmallow people were great. Paul Ruddy goes to the Walmart after his date with the mom. Um, you know, they the kids get in jail because they're fucking with the tech and, you know, the, the Ghostbusters tech. And uh, Paul Rudd decides to just randomly go to Walmart. And they're, of course, they have bags of state puff marshmallows and they, you know, all sort of reanimate and come to life and they're like really happy to destroy themselves and they kind of like burning themselves on grills and uh one of them gives a thumbs up actually kind of like in terminator 2 which i thought was funny and uh they're kind of like gremlins you know so they're like they're like harping on all these you know sort of nostalgia buttons that we all love uh amy likes the re that they recreate gozer would have been cool if walter peck did a cameo i mean listen they they did have a lot of cameos in this film. There's so many so many Easter eggs. She opens up uh, the uniform of Egon uh, Egon Spangler, and there's like a Crunchwrapper in there, and his glasses. I don't know if the Crunchwrapper is from the original movie. I assume that was an Easter egg. But when they open up the the glove compartment of the Ecto One, you see a Twinkie because you know he taught. There's that whole line about the Twinkie in the original Ghostbusters about the. The, how much paranormal stuff it's about the si a twinkie the size of manhattan um 
there's they 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 capitalize on that line you know uh i collect molds and spores and they show his collection of molds and spores in his laboratory uh you even see a stack of books in the background which is uh, a nod to the beginning of the original ghostbusters where they see uh book stacks in the library basement you know when they discover that ghosts are real you know what's funny there wasn't too much ectoplasm a little bit with the muncher character they have the nod to slimer with the muncher and they bring back um what's her face uh annie potts plays janine she comes back everybody kind of comes back except for rick moranis um why not get Cheech Marin and what's his face in there? They have they have cameos in in the in the original film. There were and you know the, we we did get some ghost shit at the end, but there was not nearly as much ghost shit in this film. The 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 movie really really relies on characters and the characterization far more than special effects, which I thought which I thought was admirable and i thought that was a very jason reitman thing you know jason reitman very famously said if i ever made a ghost uh ghostbusters movie, he said this back in 2007 if i ever if i made a ghostbusters movie it would just be them talking about ghosts and you kind of do get a little bit of that energy but it doesn't it works it's fine um as it turns out gozer is behind everything in the mind and we we meet the actual ivo shandor who is in this glass coffin it's never really explained why he's there he's just been like awaiting the return of gozer and that's why egon spangler we find out that from ray because she calls the number which happens to be connected to ray ray runs a bookstore all these years later and you know what's his face went back to academia uh peter venkman and we find out that that Winston Zedmore, we find out in the after credit scene that he became really famous and not famous, really successful businessman. But they never explain why that is. They don't we don't know why he became a successful businessman, but he is a successful businessman. And he buys the hook and ladder uh, to, to sort of bring the Ghostbusters back. He takes the Echo one back. And that's that's what we get in that at that end scene. I'm really jumping around all over the place here. But there's no actual sort of like human antagonist in the original ghostbusters it's like the city the mayor who's against the ghostbusters or like or like the the hotel guy who doesn't want to pay the ghostbusters you know and then of course the ghosts themselves are kind of the antagonist as well but we don't really have that element in ghostbusters afterlife per se maybe it's the mom who is kind of the antagonist in the sense that she's like against all this stuff in her life like she doesn't care about anything she's like here take that aztec whistle take this i don't care about this map of this place like i just want to you know get my life in order and she starts dating paul rudd as i said who plays you know he's, he's a summer school teacher so he plays stuff like cujo and chucky for his kids because he doesn't really want to teach them they don't really want to be there for summer school instead he's like he's keeping track of the seismic activity that's happening under the ground which is all related to the gozer stuff that's going on so we see Gozer again. It's pretty. It is pretty cool. Amy's right. It is pretty cool, man. You see Gozer like you know show up and split Ivo Shandor in half, and uh, we see the the terror dogs come back. I don't know if they're called. My my son has a storybook of Ghostbusters. They call them terror dogs in there, so I assume that that's what they are. But it's really the the gatekeeper and the keymaster, right? Who who happen to be Paul Rudd and Mom? They are the gatekeeper and the keymaster. So we get it's literally it's just a rehash of the plot of the first film. That's what it is, you know. There's they they don't break any new ground, which I guess brings us to well, should we talk about the cameo first? No, let's talk about this, and then we'll talk about the cameo, which brings me to sort of like the point of all this do what do we want as fans or what do we want as audience members or move, movie goers is it is it polarizing is it black and white do we only want fan service do we only want fresh and new do we want something that's masquerading as fresh and new but secretly playing it safe with fan service because that's what that's what they do it's like they're scared they're scared to take any risks we're just going to give the fans something that they're going to just go bonkers for. Whoa. Like, besides the fact that it's kind of cool that they're bringing back Gozer, is it actually really that cool once we see Gozer? No. Once, like, Gozer is, like, the bad guy, like, we don't even know what Gozer wants. We don't know why Gozer is doing what Gozer does, just trying to be evil, 
like sacrifice or something like there's no there's just nothing there it, there's nothing of substance i guess and that's why some fans get really upset with this sort of fan service they go they go look you're 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 treating me like an idiot you're showing me a shiny thing and trying to convince me that this is good because of this shiny thing but when the shine wears off where's the substance you know um and so that is a missed opportunity for ghostbusters but now let's let's take a look at it from the angle of star wars and the last jedi um <laughs> yes that's right i forgot about that amy's right ray gets it right by saying he's a god because he he messes up in the first movie and they they really they really it, it was great man everybody clapped and applauded when the ghostbusters came on the screen i did too i was again that but that's what a fan service moment is designed to do it tugs on your heartstrings and makes you sort of ignore any inconsistencies with story character or plot because what you're seeing is something that appeals to you from a nostalgic perspective or a sentimental perspective or, you know, like that, you know? Um, and I guess that some people think that it's cheap, but I don't think it's cheap. I, I say, bring it on. I say pilot high and I will just shove it all down into my mouth and eat it all. So I have a big mouth and I love eating food. But let's take a look at it from a Ghostbusters, I mean, from a Star Wars perspective. On one hand, everybody's like, wow, The Last Jedi, so ballsy, just sort of subverting all expectations, taking us in a completely different direction than The Force Awakens did, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, break new ground and be fresh and new and open the door for anybody to use the force. Wow, this is great. And then you have the other side of the coin going, fuck this shit, because what the fuck? This movie set, you know, episode seven set everything up, and now episode eight fucking ruined everything. And like, you know, just turned in the other direction. Ray is nobody. Snoke is nobody. Nothing is anything. Skywalker is dead. Luke Skywalker is dead. Mark Hamill is alive. Carrie Fisher is dead. And Princess Leia is alive. I mean, what a predicament, you know? And to me, I look at it like this. I look at it uh, uh, in that sense. I look at it as two ways. Uh, or I look at two different factors here. Ready? Factor number one. You, when you are making a trilogy of films... First of all, you need a showrunner. You need a showrunning producer like Kevin Foggy, right? I mean, dude was a producer for 22 Marvel films. You know what I mean? Just landed it with, with Avengers, Infinity War and Endgame, right? Just blew the blew the rails off of everything. Just, just, just absolutely, like, completely pulled it off. You need a showrunner. That's number one. Number two... If you're doing a trilogy of movies and someone passes you a ball, if this is football, if somebody passes you the ball, it is your job or a baton. It's your job to run and pass that baton to someone else. You don't fucking spike the ball in the middle of the field and fucking strip down naked and run around doing a weird dance. You don't take the baton and throw it in the other direction of the direction that you're running. You, you got to be a team player. J.J. Abrams gives you all these things, these these things, run with them. Don't be like, fuck you, J.J., I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, and then I don't give a shit, you know? And as a result, we have a trilogy where one guy tries to subvert the other guy or tries to sort of get in the way of the other guy. Ryan Johnson tries to go against the grain of J.J. Abrams. And then what does J.J. Abrams do again? He goes, fuck you, Ryan Johnson. He gets the ball back and then runs in the other direction trying to undo everything that Ryan Johnson does, right? So that's one part of it. If you're given a ball, you got to just play with the ball. And the ball is fan service because here's the ultimate reality about Star Wars, and I'm going to tie this back in to Ghostbusters in one second. When you go to see the big arena show, uh, you know, you're going to, you're, when you go to see Led Zeppelin, right? In a, in a, in a stadium arena, you want to hear them do whole lot of love stairway to heaven, 
you know, trampled underfoot, cashmere, whatever, whatever, the Diary Maker, all the all the Zeppelin songs that you love. Uh, what is it? Uh, good times, bad times, dazed and confused. You don't want to see them, you know, covering Bob Dylan or something, you know, I don't know. Or better yet, you, when you go to the stadium show, you want to hear Led Zeppelin do the hits. You don't want to hear fucking like Neuter Milk Hotel doing a fucking rare B-side off of their compilation that only came out in Iceland. You know what I'm saying? And that's what Ryan Johnson was doing. He's like giving us this smart, unique, fresh perspective in something that's a trilogy of just popcorn movies, you know? Like, Ryan, that's great. Do it as your own standalone film. It's great. But to do that as the fucking follow-up to Led Zeppelin doing fucking Stairway to Heaven is just a giant fuck you to everybody. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what that's what, how I feel about fan service versus doing something fresh and new. And in the case of Ghostbusters Afterlife, they are just playing the hits. They're that may you know to you know maybe too much even, but they're just playing the hits. They're going boom. We're gonna give you Gozer. Boom. We're gonna give you fucking Ecto One. Here's the proton packs. Here's fucking Egon. And then boom. Here are the Ghostbusters. And that brings us to the Ghostbusters. And Amy says, "Oh my God, my ears screaming and clapping when the OG Ghostbusters make their entrance." We all. You get misty-eyed. You're like, holy shit, there they are. You know why? Because it's this it's this notion of something familiar that's still there. You know, in a world where everything changes and there are no constants or where consistency feels like a warm blanket of comfort, there's that thing that you loved so much as a child standing there right in front of you, a bit worse for wear, a bit older, longer in the tooth, but there doing their thing. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, you could kind of look at Bill Murray and he's kind of rolling his eyes. Yeah, He's kind of like, all right, let's just, we're not getting any younger. Let's just get this over with before another one of us dies. You know what I mean? Like they already lost Harold Remus and they, they, learned, they learned their lesson. And, well, they sort of learned their lesson. They're like, well, we'll be in a Ghostbusters movie, but we're not going to play our characters. And that's what they did in 2016, which to me was infuriating. It was such a troll to me. Don't get, again, you're giving us something fresh and new and you're trying to do a little fan service by giving us these cameos, but then you're not going to have the actual characters. We want the characters along with the cameos. You can't do that to us. And they get it right the second time with Ghostbusters Afterlife. They they all show up. And it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's so pat. Like, we don't care how they show up. How they show up is ridiculous. They just show up. They figure out, Ray figures out somehow from the phone call the exact place in town where where Egon had been living and because they hadn't talked in 10 years and whatnot. And he kind of fills us in a bunch, some backstory, some exposition and whatnot. And they show up in their own costumes, uh, sorry, in their own uniforms, despite the fact that Egon also had, you know, other, you know, uh, other pairs of or other uniforms of theirs all the kids are wearing you know we didn't even talk about podcast who writes his name pocket just such a fun we did we talked about it a little bit he's got a podcast and he walks around with a with a shotgun mic just like the one that i'm speaking into right now making um <laughs> you know making like podcast stuff he's like the show doesn't really <laughs> he says he showed the show doesn't find its voice until episode 46 and then we find out that dan Aykroyd as uh as uh, Ray Stances his only listener who who confirms his only subscriber who confirms he's like you're my one subscriber and he goes yeah the show really finds itself in episode 46 which I thought was a really funny uh callback to that earlier sort of joke and they all get there and we don't know how they got there and you know any other sort of scenario we're kind of going like what like what like like where how did they get there that's bullshit it's shenanigans but we don't care. We're just happy that they're there. It's just like, bring, bring, fan service calling. Don't care how they're paying for this phone call. We're just glad that it's here. That was a bad analogy. Um, and, and yeah, it's great, man. We love, they, they fire up their, they fire up their proton packs. They shoot and they cross the streams. And then Gozer, it's like, 
Well, we're going to trick them, guys. We're going to give them all the stuff that's super duper familiar, but then we're going to subvert our expectations by uncrossing the streams. That's how it's going to be different. You know, Bill Murray's like, um, yeah, so uh, what's, what's going to be the different way that we, uh, what, how is this film going to be different from the other two? And Jason Reitman's like, well, here's the thing. You guys cross the streams, but then goes or uncrosses the streams. What do you think? You know, um, but it's great. It's fucking great. And then you see Egon show up to like sort of back up. Okay, this is going to get really nerdy. Some of you don't know that I really used to love Dragon Ball Z. I loved that show. I used to watch Dragon Ball Z. I loved it, man. I grew up on Dragon Ball Z. Well, okay, this is very embarrassing, but I'm just going to say it. In the Cell Saga, in the Cell Saga, um, Go Gohan goes Super Saiyan 2, and Goku's ghost goes up behind Gohan as he's doing a Kamehameha with one hand because Cell injured his other hand, and he uses Goku's spirit to help focus his Kamehameha and destroy Cell. And that's literally what happens. Fucking Egon, like, lines up with her, Phoebe, the granddaughter, uh, and helps her to shoot the, uh, the the proton pack. And then the other three Ghostbusters are doing it. And it's just great. It's great. And like I said, Bill Murray is just standing there like, ugh, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm in the costume and I'm doing the thing, blah, blah, blah. But... You know what? We're we're happy that he just participated, and that's all that matters. Eric Corp says, "Love the new Ghostbusters movie. Watched it twice. Was only pissed that there was no ecto cooler. You were not the only one. Runners dials zero also felt the same way." Um, Amy says, "Venkman cracking wise as always, rolling his eyes. All right, let's get this over with. Exact, yeah. I mean, but that's not just Venkman. That's that's Bill Murray too. You know, I mean, that's Bill Murray." doing doing uh sort of be, getting paid probably they all probably got a million dollars for that easily the, the they all got a million dollars to show up and shoot two scenes each right they each appear in two scenes we see sigourney weaver in the after the credits which is great there's no reason for her to be there and it's like an afterthought like why not at least in court why not have her living with peter venkman right because they end up together um and, you know, they leave the movie open. You know, they vanquish Gozer. Everything goes, everything's fine. We don't really get any kind of epilogue to show that they're going to continue ghost busting or anything. Like I said, the, the very next thing that we see is a shot of New York, which is just super weird. Like, it just doesn't, I don't know why they have that shot in New York. And then we get the after credit scenes. One is a callback to the, the psychic shock therapy that Venkman does where he admits basically he gets hooked up to the electroshock and he just admits that he memorized what the cards were or something. And then the other scene is, like I said, we get uh, Winston Zedmore admitting that he is super like rich because of, uh, you know, the corporation he started and that he is going to do something with the Ecto one and do something with, you know, um, being a ghostbuster. So we're going to get like the next generation of ghostbusters. I hope that Phoebe, the girl, I hope they bring back both of them. Trevor was fine too, but you really do. I, 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 I the, the, they, the, it was smart to do like, hey, Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters, which probably came. I, I didn't watch. I only watched the first season of Stranger Things. Just was not my, not my bag. But I do know that I saw those photos online of like the kid, um, Finn, uh, the kid Finn Wolfhard, his name Wolfhard, <laughs> uh, dressed as a Ghostbuster when they go trick or treating. And I'm sure somebody saw that image and said, this is our next Ghostbusters film. Ghostbusters Afterlife has to be like that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what comes. This film seems like it was very, very successful. Good on them. Like I said, great. Go check it out. Yes, it's fan service, but that's all we need, you know, at the end of the day, I guess, is fan service, you know? Um, would I, I would have liked to see them try something. And I will say this too about J.K. Simmons as Ivo Shandor. It, it was a waste of a J.K. Simmons cameo. J.K. Simmons is a very talented actor and he's barely in it. And it's just like, it just felt like such like a shoehorn thing. Like why even waste J.K. Simmons on this? It's like, it just didn't really serve any plot other than, oh, that's the guy that designed the tower in the first movie. Again, 
like just slathering this in safe sauce. We're gonna have so much safe sauce on this that when you swallow it, it will go down easy and you won't feel any indigestion from trying something fresh and new. It's fine, it's fine. Um, wow, we did, did we do five broadcasts this week? I'm trying to think, we did Sinful Celluloid on Thursday, no, four, we did four broadcasts. We did Sinful Celluloid on Thursday, we did the Streaming Evil Live show on Wednesday, and we did whatchamacallit on Tuesday. I did something on Tuesday. Larry David? I did Larry David on Tuesday. No, 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 no. I did Larry David on Monday. We skipped Tuesday. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, if you're going to be in town next weekend, next Friday is Steve Zing's Black Friday bash at Dingbats, which is for charity. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I might not. I'm supposed to be shooting that day. I'm shooting a film. So we'll see. I'm going to try and get down to the show if I can. But check it out. Check out. Check that out. Uh, also, releasing the day before Thanksgiving, we took a trip to Lodi and we erected a statue of the Misfits. That's right. You heard correctly. A, a statue of the Misfits has been erected. We have a brand new episode of Sinful Celluloid on... Oh, it's, Thursday is my birthday. I don't know if we're going to do that. It might be... We might not have an, a show next week, or maybe we'll have to do it the day before. I don't know. I'll have to talk to Chris. But we got a great episode picked out. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy this, and make sure you watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. Go to the theater, support this film. Thank you all so much for joining me tonight to review this film. Uh, I am going to go watch Tiger King 2 because I'm in the mood for a little bit of trash. So, I'll, like always... Peace and hair grease.